0: Please uh, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews in the 13th chapter as we consider, as we continue. I read my thank you note at this service, didn't I? It was a later service. Remind me to read it at the conclusion of this service, please. Okay. Um, Hebrews uh, 13, and this is the first Sunday we'll be having the Lord's Supper. And as I have been doing for some time, I've been going reading through the Book of Hebrews, preaching from it. And I got to tell you, it—if uh, you haven't sat down and read it through, it won't take long to do so. And then go back through it and read it paragraph by paragraph, and think about the richness of the things that are saying uh, being said here in this book. Um, It is so rich, it's worth contemplating regularly. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Let's hear the Word of the Lord. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go with the prayer. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word. Pray for me as I preach this text. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. Be with us, we ask. Be with me as I preach. Be with your people as they hear. Open up our hearts to be receptive. Take away dullness of thinking or tiredness, Lord God. Be with us, we pray. Holy Spirit, work in our lives. Work in our midst, we ask, Almighty God, that we may be moved to a greater love for each other and a greater love for you. Lord, hear us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Most of you know what a crescendo is in music. A crescendo at the end is just a louder and louder until it's like the 1812 overture has that at the end. You know, the cannon's going off and all that. Well, the crescendo in Hebrews is in the first part of it, and in the middle part of it, and in the last part of it. Every aspect of this book is, if you will, a a blaring pronouncement of theological truths that are so deep and so personal that it should be that our lives are affected by every aspect of this book. The writer to the Hebrews, as you know, has been encouraging the recipients of this letter not to apostatize from the faith. There was this tendency to go back to the temple. The temple at this point had not been destroyed. There was a tendency to go back to Judaism because there was no persecution. Whereas the Christians were being persecuted, some had lost their land, uh, some had been mistreated, and so there was the thought there, the tendency there, to go back to where it was safe. And he says, don't shrink back. We are not those who shrink back. And just in the first opening verses... Uh, he speaks about Christ being the final revelation of God. In the Old Testament, he spoke in various ways, through shadows, uh, through prophecies, through sacrifices. In these last days, he said, he has spoken to us through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He has been appointed heir of all things. We understand that through the blessing Christ got, the reward Christ got for coming into the world, taking flesh upon himself, uh, living under the, uh, the, the law. Uh, keeping the law for us, suffering God's wrath and condemnation on the cross of Calvary, being held under the power of death for a time, and being raised from the dead, and being ascended to the right hand of God. So he upholds the entire universe. This Jesus has been given all authority and all power and all majesty. And so all of this is in the opening verses of this great book. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature after he made purifications for our sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 1, 5 through 12, You are my son, today I have begotten you again. I will be to him a father, and he shall be my son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. So Christ then... Uh, is the hope of this world, the hope of the next world. He is the foundation of our uh, confidence in life to come. So in these opening verses, he identifies Christ, and make no mistake in your understanding as you consider these teachings for Jesus, He is our hope and comfort, and it is as we embrace these things, as we believe these things, as we live by these things, that we have life in Christ. In these final days, he says, he has spoken to us through his Son, do homage to the Son and love him. Well, uh, as he comes to chapter 13, um, what he is doing here is giving instructions to them uh, as Christians. Uh, they are in a covenant relationship with God. Uh, God promised Abraham in Genesis, in the 12th chapter, all the nations shall be blessed through you. Well, that ultimate blessing comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, the promised one who was going to accomplish redemption for us. Well, now that we are in Christ, you see, we have covenant responsibilities. What did God say to Abraham? Walk before me and be blameless. Uh, obey my word, obey my law, walk before me and be blameless. Well, in Christ, what does Jesus say to us? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so you have us to see this morning that covenant privileges bring covenant responsibilities. What are the privileges? Well, being forgiven for our sins, having life in Christ, uh, knowing that the sting of death has been taken away from us, knowing that we can close our eyes, not simply in peace, but in confidence. Uh, we can say, like, General Jackson said, today you're going to be with the Lord. He says, I prefer it. Now, we can have that kind of confidence and hope as we face death. Well, along with uh, the covenant uh, privileges are covenant responsibilities. And we, three things, but we're just going to leave let's look at the first one because of, because of time. And that is covenant responsibilities to practice brotherly love. The covenant responsibilities to practice hospitality and the covenant responsibility to practice sexual purity. So these things, but we're going to just look at the first one today. And next Sunday, I'm going to preach on this again because I don't want to wait a month to come back to it. Uh, it all fits together. So that's what we are going to do. The first thing then, the Christian's responsibility or covenant responsibility to practice brotherly love. They are told here in the text, if you look at it, let brotherly love Continue. Uh, love was being expressed by these Christians. That's not true of all churches that received letters from the Apostle Paul. Uh, not true at all. The church of Corinth had all kinds of problems. Uh, there was division. Paul opens up that letter to them with divisions. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Jesus, I'm of Peter. You know, So there was division there in the church and the possibility uh, for four churches to come out of that. Well, here, uh, that's not what's happening among the Hebrews. They are loving one another. Well, what does it mean to love one another in the church? Well, negatively, what are they not doing? Uh, if they are loving one another as we are supposed to love one another, as we are commanded to love one another, what are they not doing? Well, listen to what Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Second Corinthians 12.20, For I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. And you remember back in verse 12 where the apostle writes, uh, do not let any root of bitterness spring up and take root there. Because we still are governed in some great degree by our sinful nature. And we take offenses and we breathe the offense and we we water the offense and we spread the offense and so that the church is not at all what it is supposed to be well we are not to do these things us here these church the church uh these uh the the, the, um, the hebrews received this these are things they were not doing those verses that i just read they were not fighting they were not quarreling well what were they doing positively then as he says here let brotherly love continue what were they doing well, they were sincerely caring for one another. Uh, they were helping one another. They were respecting one another. First Corinthians ten twenty four. We need to have this as a memory verse. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And again, Galatians 5, 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We pretend sometimes it seems these verses aren't even in the Bible in the way that we take offense and we, again, nurture it. Well, it's contrary to what God's will is. This is loving others is lawful. Loving others in the church is lawful. Loving others in the church is commanded. Therefore, it is pleasing to God when we love others in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a congregation, loving others in this congregation should be a high priority for your life. You hear that? Loving other people. And this congregation should be a high priority for you in your life because it is for the Lord. You stated what love is not. You stated what love is. Is there anyone in this congregation that you don't like? Is there anyone in this congregation you don't love? Is there anyone in this congregation you really, quite frankly, you loathe them? That's wicked. That is wicked before the Lord. And frequently we take opportunities to badmouth people to our wife. Show me one place in Scripture where it's okay to share gossip with your wife. One place where it's okay to share gossip with your wife. There are things I don't tell Melinda that someone has done or someone has said. I don't tell anybody. Why tell her? What's the point in it? So she'll embrace the hurt that I had or or the anger that I had. So she'll share in that. That's not biblical. You don't have to share every offense that you have with somebody. You simply don't. And yet what we do is we are like a politician trying to get people to come on our side. Let me tell you what they did. Did you know this about them? Did you understand that about them? if you did, you wouldn't hold them in high esteem at all. No, that's that's not loving one another at all. Uh, And we have different views, do we not? Well, we have to respect one another. We have to respect one another in things where we disagree. Perhaps someone is like, uh, there's a book called Irregular Person. I uh, found that book yesterday. It was a book I think we read at Covenant years ago. Back when I was doing my internship with Dr. Piper. Uh, anyway, regular people. There are some people wired so that their personality is quite annoying. That's just the way they're put together. They are annoying people. Think of the individual who knows it all, who knows everything. Whether they do or don't, they still do. They know everything. I know it all. You've heard that phrase before. And it is that they have a very high opinion of their views. And even when they're wrong, they won't admit it. And the faults they have are somebody else's responsibility or somebody else's fault. Irregular people, uh, the people who never admit they're wrong, and somehow in some way it's always someone else's fault, or the whiner and the complainer, or whatever the case may happen to be. It doesn't matter. You are to love them anyway. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 26, article 1. Listen to this. All saints that are united to Christ Jesus, their head, by his spirit, and by and have fellowship with him, and be united to one another in love. Christ is above all love. They have communion with each other's gifts and graces. They are obligated to the performance of such deeds, public and private, as do conduce to their uh, mutual good in the inward and outward man. Hear what the confession is saying there? We have a responsibility to do good to one another before the Lord. Now, this exhortation to love one another does not mean that you're going to be best friends with everybody in the church. Some people, simply because of their personalities, somehow or another are drawn together common interest, they like one another, they enjoy one another, whatever the case may happen to be. That's just the way it is. That's friends are like that. But there's something about somebody, there's a magnetism there, there's something there and you're just kind of kind of drawn to one another. But even if you're not the best friends with somebody in the church, you're still to to love them. You can always have sweet fellowship. You can always be kind to others. You do not have to say unkind words. You don't have to, Though you may not be the closest of friends to everybody. Again, there's something about personalities that are drawn together, but you can be loving and kind to everyone in the congregation. So the writer here exhorts them to love one another because, number one, and it stands for us too, we are commanded to love one another. John chapter 13, verse 24, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's the words of Jesus. As I have loved you, Christ said, you're to love one another. I'm the example, if you will, is what Christ is saying to them. Even as I have loved you, you are to love one another. John fifteen twelve. this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. John fifteen seventeen. these things I command you so that you will love one another. 1 Peter 1, 22 through 23, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The benchmark of the church. Is love. So we are commanded to love one another. The benchmark of the church is love. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And that's again, John 13, uh, 35. That's Christ speaking. They will know you are my disciples when they see you in discord. They'll know you're one of my disciples when they see you fighting and dividing over matters in the church. That's not what the text says at all. Some things are not that important. They're just not. Most of the time, when there are disagreements with another believer, it's petty. Uh, If someone says to you, I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, that's significant. That's tearing away at the heart of the gospel. That's significant. But if someone says... I don't like the color of this carpet. So what? So what? It's petty. It's petty. And the things that break fellowship most often in the church are not theological. They're petty, meaningless things that aren't worth breaking fellowship with another believer. The benchmark of the church is love. And third thing is, we're exhorted to love one another because Christ loved us so. John 13, I mean, John 3, 16 and 17. You know the, the, the situation. Nicodemus went to talk to Jesus. We, you're a teacher, and we know that you come from God because of the amazing things you do. Well, what must I do to have eternal life where well, you must be born again? How can that possibly be? He talks about the wind, That he says this great quote, that most everybody knows, and you see it on football games. People have the poster with John 3.16 on it. For God so loved the world that they gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What was behind the coming of Christ into the world to redeem a people to himself by taking God's wrath and condemnation upon himself on the cross of Calvary, what motivated the whole thing? was God's love. You are where you are only and because of God's love for you in Christ. That's it. Grace abounding. Grace amazing. Amazing grace. So we love because it is commanded, we love because it is the benchmark of the church, and we exhorted to love one another because Christ loved us as well. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Well, how are we to love one another? Well, again, by caring for one another, by being kind to one another, by praying for one another. By seeing to it, as again it says over in the book I uh, uh, preached a couple of months ago, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up among you and therefore cause division in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter eight, says this, Above all things, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. True love makes allowances for imperfection. True love makes allowances for insults. What did Jesus say if someone strikes you on the cheek? Turn to him the other also? He's not talking about somebody beating you up. We have the right to defend ourselves. You don't stand there and let somebody beat you to pulp and just stand there. You either fight back or run away. He fights and runs away, lives to fight another day. But it is talking about insults. If someone insults you, do you respond in kind and respond in anger? Now, we have the right to defend our character. don't think that's not the case. But to respond to someone in kind is something that we simply should not do. When we love people and when we uh, desire the best for them. We esteem them. We focus on their excellencies and we make room for and allowances for their errors. That's what it is to love someone. If we love them, we are ready to cover over their faults, even those which seem to us, as the poet says, are hurtful. Now again, there is a time when we are called upon to confront sin. We're to confess our sins to one another. We're not allowed sin just to continue on. But there can be a certain point where we're simply too interested and too sensitive about our own feelings. And so love covers a multitude of sins we read here in the scriptures. And what should motivate us and what should should uh, drive us uh, to do what Paul, I mean what the writer to the Hebrews says here, let brotherly love continue, is to reflect upon God's love for us, as I said a moment ago, in the great love that God has for us displayed for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Greater love has this that a man lay down his life for his friend. That's exactly what Christ did to us. And if you look back at the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31.3, The Lord appeared to him from far, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have drawn you to myself in lovingkindness, that it was a love that was entirely unmerited. Had justice been served, God well could have condemned us all to perdition. And justice would have been served. We could not stand in hell and say to God, this is not right, this is not fair, you have done wrong. Because he is the judge of all, he is infinite in holiness and righteousness, and we are altogether not. And as a judge who is just, then that sin must be punished. And there is the love of God For us expressed in the Lord Jesus Christ by sending Him to die for us on the cross of Calvary. And God who loves, who is perfect, loves sinners. How can we not love someone who is a sinner like we are? And we have to remember too that this church belongs to Christ. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's the Lord's church. Does he care whether or not we love one another? Yeah, he does. He cares a whole lot. It's very evident throughout Scripture we are to love one another. Well, what does someone who loves another person do? Well, you think the best of them. Everybody's got something about them that's admirable. We think the best of them. Don't focus on their faults. Don't focus on the offenses that they may happen to have brought to you, but rather focus on the strengths that they have. Pray for them. Make that person that is somehow and in some way mistreated you an object of constant prayer. And don't pray, Lord, get them you can pray lord grant them repentance grant them the grace to see their error and grant me the grace to see mine as well Where i may have offended where may i may have done wrong the fellowship at this church has been in many ways broken by that i mean we can't fellowship together like we used to we don't have sunday lunches anymore we can't do that uh we kind of split and leave when the service is over because of uh, just the way things are right now. So we have to all the more take advantage of being here when we can be here on the Lord's Day. Uh, pray that we'll soon be able to get together again and have lunches like we used to. I don't mean the fellowship has been broken because of people being upset, it's just the way things are with COVID. You know, we have to cover our face. Afraid to touch one another. All of these things that are difficult for the life of the church. Can't go in and visit somebody in the hospital. People like to be visited when they're in the hospital. Can't do that. When Melinda was in the hospital early this past year, I, they wouldn't let me in to see her. Can't even go to the ER. Had to stay outside. Communicate by telephone. So in these situations where we can't be together as we could at one time, we still... Remember one another and pray for one another. And still love for one another. Precious Linda is having a hard, hard time. Some of you have not seen her. You really probably can't in many, ways, many cases. Can't go see her. But you can still pray for her. You can call her. Let her know you love her. That's what God calls us to. Let brotherly love continue. Love that is based upon our union in Christ. Not just because you're a loving, kind person, but because of who you are and who that person is in Christ. Let's pray.